0: Welcome back to Not Alone, a podcast about faith and wellness. We're so glad you're tuning in. In the last year, we've talked about a lot of the challenges we've all faced in the pandemic. And this week, we're introducing another to the list, substance abuse. How do we define things like alcoholism and dependence? How has substance abuse affected faith communities? And how do we know when it's time to take steps towards healthier living? Here, as always, are Michael McCord, Evan DeYoung, and Lindsey Geist. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another wonderful episode of the Not Alone podcast, the podcast that explores faith, well-being, and why on earth Chick-fil-A changed the name of lemonade and iced tea mixed together. That's the biggest thing that we want to tackle first. Michael, Lindsey, we're together, all of us here now, wondering... Why on earth did they change it? Michael, what did they change the name to?
1: Sunjoy. It's yeah, confusing I mean, to me. I mean, Which Kathy do I need to call?
2: They've definitely uh, poured a lot of money into this campaign because the PR around this is extensive.
1: Well, you might find this hard to believe, but I was actually part of a focus group on Sunjoy. And I, well, not a focus group, but I, I was a test... I don't know. I tested it, <laughs> and I was then interviewed about the name, and filled oh, out a survey. Weren't. Yes, this is true.
2: Are you being really serious? Right I now? am.
1: I am. So I knew this months ago that the Sunjoy was coming out. Did you sign an NDA and or something? No, no. It's just why didn't just you tell intense. me earlier? <laughs> <laughs> well, because I said pretty strongly, I don't like the name Sunjoy. I'm fine with changing it from Arnold Palmer, but uh. Like, Sunjoy, I don't understand. It it just, it doesn't sound like a drink. So anyway, why did they change it?
2: Sunkissed is a drink. Yeah. I don't know. It just didn't have a... Yeah. This sounds like absolutely nothing that has to do with what we're talking about today. No, but it does. And yet, like all things. Yes.
0: Yes. Because this episode, we are talking about substance abuse, specifically... Alcohol and how it's related to the pandemic and our lives, and how it relates to faith and well being. And I have a sneaking suspicion that they didn't love people ordering a drink that has also the name of an alcoholic beverage at Chick fil A. I just have a hunch.
2: So, you think that the entire PR campaign is to change it from an Arnold Palmer to Sunjoy over alcohol abuse?
0: And probably the rights to say Arnold Palmer, because like maybe they can't put it on a menu because then they owe a certain. Hold on, I'll okay. Let this... me call Kathy. Beep boop, beep boop, beep beep beep. This is me this... on my cell phone calling. Hello? Hello.
2: This might be the first time that our intro segment actually played into our topic of the day, and I didn't even know.
0: Hold on, Lindsay, I'm on the line with the Cathys. Uh, hello, this is. Can <laughs> I sp- can I can I speak to the Kathy family, please? Oh, oh, yes, hold on, just Can I show it to the Kathy?
1: You say that, but the truth is, they just don't like golf, and that's it's really oh. behind. I, we're gonna get this. We're you know what? We're gonna get this figured out. Everybody, I, don't. Worry. I just I, as as an avid uh, fan of the mix between lemonade and tea. This this has really been a hard transition for me this week. And I also am very into their bagels. And so I'm having to let go of two things in one week. And that's a lot.
2: We'll, um We'll come back to grief at some Thank point you. later, Michael. But doesn't we'll that sure lead?
1: That is one of the things that might lead us into abusing different kinds of substances. Is that right? Do you think Arnold Palmer just took the bagels with him out the door? Like he was like, <laughs> stop using my name and I'm taking these bagels.
2: <laughs> Oh goodness, goodness! Oh. So tell
1: tell us, Lindsay, like, root us in some factual world about understanding what exactly substance abuse is and substance dependency.
0: Oh yeah, I found out seven minutes ago before we started the episode that there's a difference. Yeah,
2: tell <laughs> tell us. Um, I think that first of all, we should say why we're even talking about this is that uh, there's been a lot of articles lately that are coming out and saying that that substance use has increased over the last year. Um, And I know that Michael, you came across several and had said, oh my goodness, I think that this is something that we should really be talking about. And so to get down into it, substance, uh, you'll hear all sorts of terms, substance use, Substance abuse. Uh, I have a background of working in a substance use detox facility. Um, and what does that mean? It means that when somebody is coming off of a substance, um, so any sort of drug or alcohol. And experiencing withdrawal and um, trying to detox off of it in a safe way. I worked in a medical facility uh, that helped people uh, come off of that substance safely. Got it. Um, and, and that's when I first learned that there was a difference in the definitions and diagnosis between dependence and abuse. So some sort of substance abuse is um, if you hit a couple, uh, you know, one or two of the criteria, um, and then dependence is when you hit a lot more of the criteria. Um, that's in the most layman, basic so, terms.
1: So I was in a, I was in a fraternity, uh, and in undergraduate, and I knew guys in my group. Who, when they drank, they drank to get drunk. That the mm-hmm. intent was as quickly and as efficiently and as cheaply as possible to get intoxicated. Mm-hmm. Um, then I also knew other guys who had to drink every single day. Like it Correct. was, it wasn't. It was. It was. That, would that be a fair way of saying? You know, those those of those of us who choose to drink, and the reason we're drinking is to get drunk, is a form of of abuse. Then, then there's this other category of people who cannot stop drinking, who just who are de- dependent upon it every day or every weekend or, or kind of a regular basis. Is that?
2: I think that's the easiest way to sort of understand the difference. There's uh, your body physically craves and needs the alcohol to continue to uh, survive each day and not experience withdrawal symptoms, or you are using it. Uh, more in and using unhealthy coping skills. Um, it, it gets a little blurry in the middle at times as a clinician diagnosing it, but that's probably the best, easiest way to understand it for the everyday person.
1: Yeah. So the, the, you were talking about this article, I was actually, it was on NPR. I was listening to, to NPR one morning on the way home. And I read the startling statistic that the, um, cases of alcohol liver disease, which is just the step before cirrhosis of the liver, which is permanent damage to a liver, and has has is, it could be mortal, mortally fatal, right? So it could, it could it's a pretty serious cirrhosis. The livers are a pretty serious um, complication. Right before that is what they call alcohol liver disease, and that rate among women under age forty this year is up thirty percent over last year. Mm-hmm. among women under 40, which to me was just uh, just shocking. And then there was this quote, uh, this, I just want to read this because I think this says so much uh, about what we've walked through together in this last year. Um, this I'm taking this from the article. Quote, Women have also borne the brunt of many new pressures of pandemic life from virtual school and increased responsibilities at home, even as ads and pop culture have continued to Validate the idea of drinking to cope, things like mommy juice, rose all day, wind down Wednesdays. On top of that, eating disorders and underlying trauma from physical and sexual violence often have added fuel to the fire and fanned that, that is fanned by social isolation. And so I, I just thought I found it really that, that just that little piece captured kind of the pressures that are on people right now. And, and how that pressure, the release valve that's been given to them socially is to drink. That's the answer mm-hmm. is to to get through. You know, and I think about young women who've, especially if you're a mother of young children, you're the one who had to give up your job, by and large. The statistics mm-hmm. show that women gave up their jobs and haven't been able to go back to work. And so you, you got loss after loss. And then everyone's giving you these things like mimosas all day and, you know, those those cute kind of phrases
0: not to be irreverent, but I've got a good place for us to tackle this problem for, stop giving these things such cool names. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know how we had to walk back Joe the camel. Cause they were like, don't love a yeah. cartoon character. Don't call it something cool.
2: Yeah. I, I can't even begin to probably count the number of, uh, gatherings with women or bachelorette parties where I have some form of, koozie or paraphernalia or t-shirt that said rosé all day Um, rosé
0: all day is typically the description of what my face color is after i try to exercise so i don't really know what
2: it relates (laughs) or what we would all look like if we drank all day long
1: that's there's that too that's true Mm -hmm. yeah and it's not it's not women alone either we should say i mean right the, the rates of uh of Of abuse of alcohol among men has increased too over the same period of time
2: yeah so the CDC the statistic that uh, came out last uh, in the fall because they always have to take a couple months to gather all the statistics is that in June of 2020 13% of Americans reported starting or increasing substance use as a way of coping with stress and emotions related to COVID only 13% That was in June, 13% reported starting or increased substance use. 13%? Mm Hmm. But 13% is pretty high considering that like, I mean, a few months in that uh, starting or increasing.
0: Maybe, well, I'd be interested to hear those numbers for uh, March too.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it'd be fascinating hopefully soon we'll start getting some data around kind of like the end of the year, Mm -hmm. um, from the end of the year about it all. Um, But uh, in a non-alcohol related and just substance as a whole um, in the early months of the pandemic, uh, there was an 18% increase nationwide in overdoses. Oh, wow. As compared to the months in 2019. So that means everybody was so stressed and so overwhelmed that they were looking to numb their feelings everywhere.
0: I saw a study that also adds to those numbers and it relates to our locale because I don't know if you saw, there was a national study about substance consumption related to specific sports fan bases and Atlanta in the NFL is the number one consumer of substances before, during, and after the games in the entire NFL. And if you've watched... For the fans
2: playoffs, or the players?
0: Oh, gosh. I don't know about the players.
2: Okay. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure I right. was hearing part, you correctly. Part of, this,
1: part of this makes sense to me, Evan, though, <laughs> is as, a, as a lifelong Falcons fan, <laughs> is that you've got to prepare for and experience loss after devastating loss Right. For year upon year. I
0: mean, I had lunch at a Papa one time, and Brian Finneran was 100 feet away on the other side of the restaurant. So I I pretty much know a lot of NFL players now. So
2: (laughs) I think even our joke about that uh, right then of, you know, if we watched Atlanta sports, you know that we need to drink before, during, and after. Um, We have normalized in our culture uh, how we talk about alcohol use, uh, that it is – what everybody does it's kind of the joking thing to connect around um and if and if you know anybody uh that's currently in recovery uh they they will remind you how much alcohol and alcohol talk is everywhere Uh,
1: yeah and it's it's like it's if it's almost as if you if you want to engage in broader society right now as, as particularly mm-hmm. if you're younger if you're say under 40 well maybe under 50 really now because uh you know millennials are getting into their 40s now so they they, they uh, <laughs> think, think about that uh <laughs> but is that if you want to interact with people you're going to go to a party or you're going to go to a restaurant and you're going to have to be around like we don't there are People mm-hmm. don't have dry parties anymore. I'm seldom do I go to a wedding that's a dry wedding, you know, so like you, you're sort of, if you're going to participate in these broader social events, you're going to have to come confront or be part of or figure out how to navigate a situation where there's a lot of use of alcohol. It's just,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and I think an important thing for us in why we're doing some episodes on this too, is because oh, this is something that we need to be aware of. For our communities, too, because for example, sparkling water is huge now. Okay, so sparkling water used to not be the titan of industry that it is today. It used to have one option and one option only, and that was Le Croix That I don't know. And I used to buy that stuff a lot because <laughs> I like sparkling water. So you you not, do you about, not even know how to pronounce it? Everybody say it. Everybody say the L E C R, say it.
2: Lecroix? Or do you call it La Croix?
0: La Croix. No, it's Le Coup.
2: <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: so. Oh, goodness. I would buy that by a couple cases at the grocery store. And almost every time I bought a large quantity of sparkling water, I had a conversation, not brought up by me, but by the cashier, about being in recovery. Huh. Because it was common that. Folks in recovery would buy large cases of sparkling water, and then they would bring them to parties and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really eye-opening for me. And I'm ignorant on a lot of things in life. So Let's we won't limit it to any one category, uh, but it was very enlightening and made me think a lot more actively about. Okay, this may be more pervasive than I'm really giving this credit for.
1: Well, I think uh, uh, another obvious indicator is that if you're if you're on social media, there's just the the plethora of Of advertisements for non-alcoholic drinks that have all of a sudden hit social media. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you all seen them, but different forms of, you know, craft drinks that are non-alcoholic and beers that are non-alcoholic that just didn't exist before, so that you could enjoy a party around people and not feel Mm -hmm. like you you had to drink. I ain't get those ads. You're getting targeted. I'm, you know, because I'm younger than you are. (laughs) Yeah, millennials.
2: Goodness. Unions.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They're getting their phones.
2: It is interesting how, looking back on a a year ago, how many people I talked to that um, were pouring a glass of wine or pouring a drink every night at the beginning of the pandemic. It's like everybody both was stressed and didn't know what to do with their free time anymore. And so they thought, okay, the weather's kind of nice out. We survived the day and survived is the right term every day at the beginning of you know the pandemic. And I'm just going to pour a drink. And I mean, I can't, I don't, I don't even know if I can count how many Zoom happy hours I went to at the beginning. It was every night, I think, that I was on some sort of call that everybody poured a drink and got on the call.
1: Yeah, I know. We definitely, there was this moment where I think Emily and I look back and we we're like, we've had wine every single night this week that we don't ever mm-hmm. drink. You know, like, that's just not who we generally are. Um, we don't do that normally. And then, but but when you were in the, when I, we were in the throes of that, April, especially we were doing digital learning. I was in school, Emily's going into work every day and having to wear all that, PPE, so I mean it's just it was that was some really tough and and you're right the the coping mechanism you had once you got the kids to bed is you could meet some friends on Zoom and have a glass of wine and um you know interestingly I will say this because uh, in the article it also pointed out that this kind of like liver disease is it doesn't come from like one or two glasses or one or two drinks a day even like they're talking that kind of liver disease is caused by like a, some people talk about drinking a liter of of vodka every day, you know, that kind of like level of drinking, but I think it does get started. If you, you, you feel comfortable and you start drinking and then maybe you have a second glass and maybe you have a third glass and maybe you just split a bottle of wine every night, you know, and it just, I could see how in this kind of system that can happen.
2: Um, it's important to know that even, I mean, while you might not be at, Cirrhosis of the liver level um, with a couple glasses every night. If you drink a couple glasses of wine every single night in a row, you your body will become dependent on it. Mm-hmm. That that alcohol dependence can happen even on a couple glasses of wine every night. It doesn't mean you need to be drinking two bottles of wine every single night.
0: Okay, we need we need to define some of i need a line here to be able to have a conversation around this so what is like what is the point when for for men for women that we're talking about we've crossed a a line because i come from an italian family and if you told them that they were not allowed to have wine with dinner every night and then that was bad you would get kicked out of the house and not invited back Mm -hmm. so so, like, I'm listening, it's like, oh, yeah, we don't drink wine with dinner, you know, every night. And I'm sitting here thinking back and I'm like.
2: Some of it is cultural, though, too. And, um,
0: or culture is the excuse.
2: <laughs> well, um, yes and no. I mean, part of it, culture is the excuse of like, oh, you know, all Europeans drink every night and it's not a big deal. But their understanding and even how they approach alcohol is um, can be somewhat different than how we've talked about it in the U S it is so taboo for so long in the U S and then you hit this certain age and it is legal. And um, anytime we make something forbidden and then possible uh, people struggle to find healthy boundaries Mm -hmm. around it. And so If you had a glass of wine every night at dinner um, and I would just ask anybody that does that, take a pause and think a little bit about why you do it and what it would feel like if we said, don't have any wine tonight or don't have a beer or don't have a drink. um, Would you notice that your body kind of reacts in a way um like oh you can't tell me what to do um
1: my body our response kind of gives as, us a flag as long as it's you're not en- encroaching on my coffee drinking i think i'm i'm okay to go through this process <laughs>
2: but
1: we won't talk about <laughs> the we necessity of coffee cows,
0: yes, that's right
1: there's there, are so, there i draw a hard line on some things so, mm-hmm. some interesting things, uh, you know, so I, part of my work is working with college students and th- with colleges. And uh, one of the ministries that we support uh, in Mississippi, um, they their ministry is around, they, they sort of revolve their ministry around this thing called Club Night. And what they found, they, they had six students who died in car drunk car accidents, drinking and driving, DUI accidents. And uh, they... They realized it's a dry, it's a dry it's
0: county. A, so everyone would leave the county that's right. to drink and then
1: drive they would they would have these accidents
0: driving back to their and housing then, in exactly. the Exactly.
1: And camp. so they would in and, and then when you went to the clubs to dance, to have fun, to hang out, you were required to have a minimum number of drinks, you know, or a cover charge. And so you would get into this cycle. So I think this is what this first thing is to acknowledge that there's pressure in the system to drink. And and what they did is create an alternative where they have this club night that college students, they get a DJ, they come, it's dry, they have fancy mocktails, they have food, they have like, um, just, but, but they, the students, what they said is we just want to hang out. But the only place to hang out is at places where they require us to drink. Mm-hmm. and So that's a real, to me, that's a really telling about where we are in our society uh, and what, and that, and that push for, for particularly alcohol. The other, the other story that was interesting, over the, a couple of uh, months ago, I was in a meeting, there's a college um, that I work with that they do with seniors, they do uh, wine events, they do like wine and cheese events where they'll bring in, um, they'll invite local employers, trustees like myself, uh, and some others to come in and meet with seniors and they provide, it's an open bar of wine and the reason they do this is because students don't know how to just have a glass of wine and sip on it and enjoy people and and get to know people. Instead, they're so accustomed to getting drinking for the purpose of getting drunk. That's Mm -hmm. right. That's right. And when it's, and so they purposely do it as an open bar because they'd rather them get plastered and make a fool of themselves in that environment where they can, you know, intervene before they actually get plastered and sick, but get to that point where they, they may leave a bad impression because it's it's to you've got to learn that, and I think that's what you're getting to around, you know, European countries, and and, and the other is that where 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 drinking is more normative across age, uh, there's there's a there's a learned discipline around it, mm-hmm. you know, and then but here, alcohol is required to have fun, and yes. as soon as you're 21. You go get it, and the purpose of drinking is to get drunk. And so, when you create that kind of cycle, it's just a lot of pressure to put on people, and not providing places a that you can have fun without drinking, or b tr- opportunities to learn how to have drinks in a way that's that's healthy and limited. Mm-hmm. You know. So, I, anyway, I just thought those were two really interesting kind of stories about how alcohol uh, kind of is fueling our system that that we all live in. mm
0: Hmm. So what is that? So what are our working definitions of like like unhealthy? Like at what point does, al- let's say alcohol use cross over into what we'd say it's unhealthy or abuse, Lindsay?
2: So some key symptoms to start paying attention to. Um, and, and these are kind of uh, in a broad range of uh, different things that you might notice for yourself or for others. Missing work or school. Drinking in hazardous situations, Uh, drinking despite social or personal problems, craving alcohol, building up a tolerance, withdrawals when trying to quit. This is a key one. Drinking more than intended. Mm -hmm. Um, Trying to quit without success. Increased alcohol-seeking behavior. Interference with important activities and continued use despite health problems. I think the drinking more than intended, I think is a really helpful one to be thinking about, especially in, as we look back on this time in the pandemic is that what started for most people as like one drink in the evening, all of a sudden would turn into this, uh, multi-drink, happy Tuesday hour, Bender. you know, people not cooking dinner, people just drinking out on their porch, Zoom calling with everybody else.
0: Uh-huh. So as an individual, if I notice those things or see that in someone that I'm close with, that's a good indicator that I should pay attention to some of the other things going on.
2: Yeah, I think that it's um, it should raise a flag for you about yourself or people you love, that it might be worth having a conversation around. I noticed this about you. Uh, I noticed this recently. I wanted to check in. Um, because as we talk so often on here, we talk about feelings all the time. I mean, I know it's your favorite subject, both of you. Wonderful. Um, yes. <laughs>
0: I talked. I just talked to one of the Kathy family on the
1: phone earlier. They said they really liked all of the feelings. The
2: feelings. Um, mm-hmm. I.
1: That's why they named it Son Joy. <laughs> yep. The
0: true name is Lindsey Geist Memorial Son Joy. Well, no, you're alive still, so we can't be a memorial. <laughs> Anyways.
2: <laughs> oh goodness! When it comes to feelings when we don't uh, when we don't handle our feelings well, uh, as we've talked about before, we do all sorts of things to avoid it or we do unhealthy things to get away from them. Alcohol is one of the socially acceptable things in conversation to use to get away from your feelings. Mm. Um, but if we probably spent more time as a society and as a community talking about our feelings and normalizing feelings, then we wouldn't need to spend so much time and energy trying to escape them.
1: Mm. You've gone to meddling now. That's a wrap. Well, <laughs> preaching. I don't know. Appreciate everybody but tuning in. That, But that, that does lead me to a little bit different. Nuanced angle. And one thing I, I want to say is next week we're going to have a, a guest speaker who works in this area who's going to help us talk about how we identify problems, how we help support people who are experiencing these problems, and, and then how we get help ourselves if, if we're the ones experiencing problems. So we're going to dive a little bit deeper into some of those experiences, but this whole idea about vulnerability and hiding, I think one of the confounding factors that we're up against is the faith tradition, where at least in, in our faith tradition and and in many of those in the United States, I'll speak specifically like, like evangelical traditions particularly, um, make drinking taboo, that it's somehow it's forbidden um, and it, sh- it shouldn't happen. And the reality is in all of those denominations, including our own, is that drinking happens, that people are drinking. But because it's become taboo um, or a sin or... Um, It could cause termination of a clergy person if they were caught drinking. Like, then what it does is it forces those who are partaking in these drinks to hide it. Mm -hmm. And hiding is one of the most, in my experience, I don't know if you agree with this, Lindsay, but hiding substance use or any kind of behavior and hiding it is what's really becomes corrosive and destructive to people because it's the secrets that really kill us. It's really it's just mm-hmm. isolates us and we can't talk about it and so we can't get help because we can't say we're drinking or we can't say that we're using drugs or that we're addicted to something else. You know because that that taboo nature of religion kind of sets in this theology of of isolation and 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 a lack of vulnerability. So tell me tell me what you your experience around that as both someone who works with 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 clients who who've had substance abuse and someone who's ordained, that intersection of religion and
2: I do think that there's a lot of shame around uh, around any sort of substance use, and uh, again, shame around feelings, and so if I I think. Uh, clergy people especially um are held often on a pedestal uh by congregation members and hold themselves to a certain standard of like i have to be uh perfect i have to have it all together um or this is not acceptable i need to hide things um I think that, I mean, I think you're right. It really adds into uh, this secrecy um, and shame and is it okay or not okay? Do I have to hide it? Um, yeah, it's all so complicated.
1: It is. I I remember um, going to some church events. Uh, I too am ordained and going to some of these church events with other ordained members Other clergy members, and they would they would order drinks but ask the waitress to put them in coffee mugs Mm -hmm. so they wouldn't be seen drinking. And I and I always thought like the 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 reality of that is so disturbing because it creates that like we have to present as if we are perfect and that we don't do these things. And the reality is, none of us are, and many of us do these things. And instead of having an honest conversation about that, the church is, the rules of the church have forced us to hide those things. Mm-hmm. And it goes on. It's not just alcohol. It's 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 a lot of things. That 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 power of shame is such a weapon of destruction for people.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. I. Shame destroys it all for us um, and just eats us from the inside out.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, I'm just thinking back to so many experiences like you where I have been at those places where uh, people have been drinking out of the coffee mugs or it's like, let's meet at a place in a back room. So nobody knows we're here.
1: Right. Right.
2: Um, and I think that it's important that it, when you're in a role of authority to be mindful about how you talk about something like alcohol, um, because there's a lot of people that struggle with it that are, are in recovery. Um, mm-hmm. and so making sure that it's not flaunted or, um, doesn't harm anybody else in the community, uh, and talked about flippantly, and at the same time, I think that uh, it it can't be secretive.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's absolutely. Um, I, I I respect that. Like when when I was a campus minister in a, at a college, you know, what we would often do is just say we don't drink. We don't drink in public in places where students would see us, not because. We don't want, part of it was not not that we really wanted students not to see us. We just know that students particularly feel really pressured to drink and and to to sort of put it in a situation where they see someone they, they look up to drinking and that somehow puts more pressure on them to drink, um, particularly if they're underage, you know. And so, I th- I th- those kinds of rules, I think, start to make some sense. But I also, at the same time, um, kind of wish we were just transparent and just open and and talk honestly about alcohol talk honestly about how how we use it and how we how we don't abuse it because mm-hmm. to me that would be even healthier
0: yeah that's the root of my question is yeah, i've heard it on every side i've heard that christians shouldn't partake in any substance in any capacity some people would even say caffeine i've heard that folks should michael just held up his caffeinated beverage and it's just putting his head in his hands because we've taken his golden goose uh, i've heard that uh, the other side is people in leadership in christian circles should model responsible substance use recognizing that they live and participate in society and that is necessary. And then if there's specific things that they've struggled with or that are part of their story, then maybe they shouldn't. But I don't really know what's the right thing. And Uh, whoever you ask is going to have a radically different opinion.
1: I I can remember doing some work. I worked with the German church for a little bit in in some starting some campus ministries in Germany. And uh, we we had church in, in on Sunday. And when we finished the service... They opened the doors to the fellowship hall, which kind of a multi-purpose, just back of the sanctuary, and there we had beer and sausage, and we all, we, which was, for me, as an American, I was so stuck, I was like, I can't drink this in the church, this is against the discipline, the book, A uh, Methodist Order, I can't do this inside of a church, and here I am, but then at the same time, it's like, they, here they are modeling, you know, having half a beer and a sausage together in fellowship inside the church. You know, I can see both sides of the, that argument, that that uh, setting up some parameters of good behavior, ultimately that's what you know churches do, is try to help people have good lives, full lives, and they set up rules. But then I also, the reality is that teetotaling is probably not the likely scenario for most people inside of our denomination or inside of our church communities or faith communities. And so, how do we model good use of of substances.
2: It makes me start thinking about our last episodes about anxiety around reentry. Um, how do we start dialoguing more about this as we reenter? If people's substance use and alcohol use has really skyrocketed during the pandemic, that means as we start going out into the world, more people are going to be driving. Uh, and still probably consuming the same levels, um, because we've all uh, every person uh, has probably built up a tolerance over time. Um, that was the way that we kind of ease the stress of the day. And as people start uh, being anxious, being out in crowds again, um they're probably gonna come home and pour a drink. Um, and so it makes me think that, we have to be even more mindful, not only talking about uh, anxiety and re-entering, but when we feel anxious, what are we doing to address that anxiety besides alcohol? And are we aware that for almost everybody, their alcohol habits changed over this past year? Mm-hmm. I mean, because we can look at these statistics that we've shared one of the uh, ways that it's felt like it's hit a little close to home of just seeing um, we kind of laugh about it, but it also feels really strange is that uh, my brother-in-law is a brewer. So he works at a brewery. And when the pandemic first hit, um, he, like so many others, were, their hours were reduced, they were sent home. Um, and that lasted a grand total of about two weeks. Mm-hmm. And then their company had an oh no moment and said, We're still selling off the charts, and we're not even selling kegs of beer anymore. We're just, it's just production uh, of for everyday consumers, um, not in party atmospheres. And so, and he is connected to a lot of other brewers as well um, in the industry. And all of the companies were seeing that happen. And I think that that's a, that just made me think about it differently. Not only is it just part of our conversation with friends and um, how we're gathering with other people um, but I saw it from the industry standpoint that they were like, we can't slow down. We have more work than we've ever had before, mm-hmm. and I think that says something about how we've all handled our feelings this past year.
1: Oh, I think you're right. I think uh, as we kind of wrap up this episode, I really think for for us, especially if those of, who who have the opportunity to do this, is to is to think about what what ways can we create space for people to deal with anxiety that don't involve substance abuse Mm -hmm. or substance use? And then what kind of fun opportunities can can churches and communities and individuals offer people to to enjoy company again, to rejoin together um, that doesn't require the use of alcohol or other substances, you know? I think that to me, those are two incredible opportunities for us in this very moment um, that that's that may be doable for us. And then I, I wonder, the bigger question for me in the end is, how can the church repositions it, its statement around alcohol so that we can be more honest and transparent and become good models of what using substances um, is like so that our, so our kids don't get to college where we get them and binge drink every weekend because they've mm-hmm. never had alcohol before and they don't know how to handle it. What can we do to prevent that kind of use of, of substances. And I think that starts at the church and in our communities.
0: Uh, Yeah. I mean, I, I, I remember, you know, having a party with a bunch of 12 year olds and parents were like, Hey, just give us your keys. You know, we're cool. If you drink here at 12, we just don't want you driving. And I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that joke needs to get cut. Uh, So the joke was that 12 year olds can't drive anyways. And hopefully it was ridiculous enough that, uh, Anyways, it's not going to make it. So let's just assume that this gets cut. And here I go. Yeah, those are some great questions. And I think we've got some great dialogue ready for our next episode. when We have our guest hosts to be able to talk a little bit more about their experience and expertise on this subject. Thanks, Lindsay and Michael, for all the thoughts and conversation as always. Any other thoughts in closing?
2: I'm just really looking forward to continuing this dialogue and continuing with somebody that's an expert in the field um, that while... It was something that uh, I got introduced to uh, in a very different way as a clinician when I first uh, worked in detox. I think that for somebody, I always appreciate learning from somebody that has done this journey work for so long with people. So I'm looking forward to our conversation next week.
1: I just want to say, because I I think it's possible to listen when we talk about subjects like this, it's possible to hear judgment about decisions that we've all made during the pandemic. And I want to be clear that if 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 you are dependent upon alcohol and in the pandemic and anxiety and trying to deal with life leads you to drinking every single night, or you're looking at yourself and saying, Yeah, this is me, there is nothing wrong with you. No. You're not you're not broken. You're not flawed. You are a real human being who's gone through a very traumatic event that the whole world has had to go through and you're not alone.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And what I want to say too is if you if you want help with this, if you want to change the trajectory that you're on, I wish you'd reach out to us and we can get you the resources you need and connect you with real people who can help you. You don't don't feel shame. That's not the point. We're trying to bring what we're trying to do is just talk about it and put it in, out there because I know that we're not alone. I know that you're not alone and 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 clearly, the world is struggling together in this, uh, and we want to help each other. So that's why we're talking about this. I don't want you to hear judgment. I don't want you to hear shame. I want you to hear vulnerability from us and honesty from us so that you can be honest with us, too.
0: Yeah, and you are us, and we are not alone. So we're, we're right there with you. I like that. You are us, and we are not alone. Oh, I'd have to use that one more. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks to Justin Patton for producing this episode and doing all of our music. Justin, you're wonderful, and we deeply appreciate you. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We love your feedback. We love all your reviews. Uh, So feel free to uh, give us a little review or a shout-out on the platform of your choice. And we will see you next episode with our special guest.